This is Iron Sports. We're so happy to have Doc Gooden on the show uh, talking about this. So, Doc, one of the things I wanted to bring up with you is the Hall of Fame. We just had the Hall of Fame. Scott Rowland got it appointed in the Hall of Fame this past week. Your candidacy, I mean, people think you're in the Hall of Fame, which is, um, you know, which, which you probably, you know, which you should be in the Hall of Fame. What's your feeling about this in terms of, I looked at every site that says, you know, of the top, the omissions, the people that should be in that aren't in, you're in everyone's top 10. So what do you think about wow. getting in the Hall of Fame, you know, any day now with a, with a committee uh, nomination? Yeah, it's all with the committee. You know, no, no offense, and I, and I mean this sincerely, no offense about none of the guys that are in the Hall of Fame. Out of utmost respect for those guys that deserve it. But um, I don't think about it as much until the votes come around and start conversation come around. And I look back at it, and I look at my numbers and some of the guys that are in it numbers, and I say, yeah, I think I deserve to be in there. And they say, well, you didn't get 200 wins. No, I didn't. But if you look at the amount of starts that I had, composed to the other guys' starts, quality starts, first five years compared to, like, Kofax and those guys' five years, I think I had the numbers there. It sounds weird when you talk about yourself on that. But I, I do think I belong in there, but they look at, well, he had a drug problem, drug addiction. Yes, I did. I claim that. But at the same time, I don't think I deserve a life sentence for the mistakes that I made in my life. Um, and the numbers, you know, they speak for itself. So I think, yes, I think I do deserve to be in. They, they, you know, I haven't got the vote, so that's fine. I still enjoy my career because, you know, once I got to the majors, I told my dad I just want to play a long time and stay healthy. I never thought about winning awards. never thought about the World Series. So I got to win three World Series. Got to win just about every award a pitcher can win. But do I, to answer your question, do I think I belong in the Hall of Fame? Yes, I do think that. But it didn't happen. You know, I'm not um, losing sleep over it. But maybe one day it will happen. We'll see. Well, you know, the one thing about your statistics is a lot of these, we're seeing compilers. Like, you know, Harold Baines gets in, he plays along, you know, not anyone's top 10 MVP or any, and then he suddenly is in. Um, you, at the top of your game, was by far the best. Your season in 1985, I mean, I'm going to give these statistics. You just, people can't believe it. 24 and 4, 153 ERA, 16 complete games, eight shutouts, almost 276 strikeouts. To show what the shutout, there was six shutouts. All the thousands of games that were played in baseball this past year, there were only six total one, and in one year you had eight shutouts. And then in a 50-game period, which is amazing, from August 11th, 1984 to 96, you for 50 starts, you were 37 and five with a 1.38 ERA and had 412 strikeouts. And it's considered the greatest 50-game stretch in the history of pitching in baseball. So clearly, the dominance level that you were at the top of your game, no one's been that dominant. Yeah, thank you. I, I wasn't aware of that, so you gave me some more. <laughs> some ammunition, right yeah. I appreciate that. But, I you gave me goosebumps by that. Um, that's just something else to say. You know, the numbers are there. And, it, and it's good to hear, like, when you guys mention that, and then fans I run across mention it, and a lot of players that are in the Hall of Fame mention that. It's good to hear. Um, you know, I had I had a problem in, in like, well, alcohol and drugs. And, again, I'm not justifying anything. I claim all the mistakes I've made in my life. But, you know, I had a disease. Drugs and alcohol is a disease. Um, and I had that. That basically cut me short from the numbers I had. And like I say, from the top of my game, you look at when I had my addiction, when the problem started, that's when the numbers started to increase. But on the only thing that's kind of unfair, I would say, when you have the type of year that you just mentioned, or the run that I had for those that period of time of 50 starts, everything you do after that is compared to that. Right. And I remember having starts in 86. I remember beating Fernando Venezuela 3 nothing. only had like four strikeouts. And the first question was, what happened? You don't have four strikeouts. <laughs> I mean, I just pitched a complete game of shell against one of the best pitchers in baseball. But when you have that type of career years at so, such an early 
started their career, everything is compared to that has probably worked against me as well. Yeah, in 1986, you were 17 and 6. In 87, you were 15 and 7 with 3 2 1 ERA. 88, 18 and 9, 3 1 9 ERA. And then, you know, even 89, 9 and 4, 90, 19 and 7, 91, 13 and 7. So, you, you know, continued a long period of time. You know, it's, it's a shame, like, if you're in football, like, they would view this, anybody in football, people, you know, Terrell Davis had four great years. That's all of fame. Somehow in baseball, they try to add up these numbers. Well, if you would have played 20 some years and added more, you know, those things. But, it clearly, at your best, you are better than anyone else, and I think that's that's the strongest uh, case for you. Considering how these people with with sort of like when even Scott Rowland, people said, "Well, when I watched Scott Rowland, I didn't see a Hall of Famer." When people were watching you pitch, they saw an all time great. Wow! Yes, thank you for the, the kind words, and right there. So you know, like I said again, I'm happy for all these guys at the end. But um, some of them, some of the guys at the end, there's no knocking against the players at the end. I'm not knocking nobody, but I think I've had better careers with some of the guys at the end. With the worst I've won, the, the, the World Series rings I've won, and some of my accomplishments I've had. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, the writers, they have a lot of power and nothing against the writers. Um, and they had to pull to, to decide who goes in and who don't. So maybe down the road somewhere, the committee can get me in. Because I know now, with the way the pitching is, the guy's only going four and five innings, and that's just the way the system is. I don't, I don't like the pitchers. So I'm sure a lot of these pitchers can go a lot longer than they're allowed. But the way, this, the, way the baseball system is now, a lot of these guys are not going to get the 200 wins, and how are you going to put them in the Hall of Fame? So maybe down the road I'll get the opportunity. Hopefully I'm still here to see it. Um, you know, today I'm healthy, feel great. You know, July gave me three years of clean and sober, so that's the thing I'm most proud of. But uh, plus my baseball career, especially now that, you know, talking to you guys and baseball getting ready to start back up, you just think about it. And when the Hall of Fame balance come around, it just crossed my mind. Sometimes I think, what could I have done differently? If this didn't happen, if that didn't happen, then I look back at it and say the things that I did accomplish to be proud of the things I did accomplish. Correct. I mean, you just said only two pitchers right now currently pitching have more wins than you or that are Verlander and Scherzer have more wins than 200. So, um, but I want to switch subjects to another a topic that's great. I, your son, Dylan Gooden, announced he's going to Maryland over Penn State. I'm a big Penn State football fan. He's a linebacker. You would think he would want to go to linebacker you, but chose Maryland yeah. over Penn State, Rutgers, and Virginia Tech. So you must be excited to have your uh, four-star uh, son, uh, Dylan going to University of Maryland next year. Oh, 100%. I'm very proud of him, his accomplishments, and he set a path himself. He played a little baseball when he was younger, but unfortunately, when his mom got divorced and moved back to Maryland, he set the path. He said, you know, I enjoy football and basketball. He plays basketball a little bit now, but football is my love. I say, wow. I say, continue playing baseball. You never know. You know, football is my game. But he stayed with football, and then when it's, when it's official, when he signed the letter, well, actually, he signed a letter um, on February 1st. He'll sign to make it official. But when he committed to Maryland to stay home and get an opportunity to play right away as a freshman, and talking to the coach, the head coach, and the um, defensive coordinator, they're going to say, you know, his opportunity to play right away. That's all you can ask for. And the main thing is the academics is good. And I say the worst thing can happen, you get a free education. So take advantage of that. But um, as a player, I'm very proud of him. Couldn't be more proud of him than what he's doing and what he's accomplishing and making a name for himself. Well, Coach Loxley has a great program up there in Maryland, and uh, he's going to be playing with two his brother, Talia. So, and Maryland's an up and coming team, so they're going to make it, they're going to do well next year. So that should be exciting to be to be in there. I hope you get to go up to see some of his games. That would be a lot of fun. Oh, most definitely. Um, I went with him a couple this year. Went there. He was on the sideline. I sat up in the stands to watch some of the games. It's a good program, and um, I'm excited about it. And it's the first time. Like I have four boys. Um, a couple went to college, but never got to play. So he gets to play. So. I'm very proud of him. And then uh, two weeks, two weekends, two weekends ago, 
he played an All-American Bowl down in Orlando, Florida. Got to see him play in that and all his brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews got to come see him play. I thought that was great, great support, and he loved it. So um, hopefully he stays hungry. Gain a couple more pounds and get to follow the rest of his dream. That's great. We're talking to Doc Gooden, legendary base, major league baseball player for the New York Mets, New York Yankees, other teams. So you grew up in Tampa, and you were a baseball pitcher when you were little. Like you just love your dad put you in, and you just love to throw. Uh, talk about growing up in Tampa and 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 your love of baseball at an early age. Oh yeah. So the thing was, my dad was a semi-pro coach in baseball. He coached little league baseball. He coached softball, women's softball. So as any kid, you know, I should follow my dad wherever he would go. And so when I was smaller, the guys should roll me the ball. When they got older, they started playing catch with me. And <laughs> well, I got got involved playing, um, um, what's it called, regular baseball, organized baseball. Was One of the guys on his team was a little league coach. Drafted him on his team, and I started playing and started pitching me right away. So he got a strong arm, he got a pitch. And then so my dad just told me how much he loved baseball. Because he, by then, you know, you only had the one game a week on Saturdays with Joe Gaggiola. And we got all the Atlanta Braves games on the radio because we lived in Tampa. And we went to all the Cincinnati Red Spring training games. We just growing up around it, watching games with my dad, you know. And, and while watching games with him, he would quiz me. What did you throw here? Why did you throw that? Like, he just knew I was going to be a pitcher. And my nephew, Gary Sheffield, was raised in the same house. My sister had him very young. And he knew Gary was going to be the hitter. He knew I was going to be the pitcher. And so he would quiz his own questions. I didn't know what he was doing. I thought he was watching the game. But he, I remember one day asking me how much – I like baseball. I said, I like it a lot. One day I'm going to be on TV. I don't remember that conversation, but he told me I had it. I was like seven, eight years old. So every day he came home from work, we go to the park and we work on these drills. It wasn't fun because he take I'm fine. He take us to the park and um, work on all these drills. But you don't, you don't have a ball, you don't have a glove, you don't have a bat. So it wasn't fun. Uh, I remember telling my mom, Dad's making us go to the park, do all this stuff. But we're not throwing the ball. We're not hitting the ball. All these different things. Thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you. Um, so we do all these drills, and at the time, it didn't make sense. As we got older, it started making sense doing the different drills he had us doing. Um, the one regret I do have is not having a conversation with my dad to find out where he learned his knowledge of baseball from um, because he was way ahead of his game or teaching the game to me. And as I got older, pitching became more of a lot of fun, and that's something I always wanted to do going to high school. I just found out, you guys will love this. I just found out, a guy wrote me, 35 guys from my Little League Park, not high school, my Little League Park, made it to the Major Leagues. That is, what, what was the name of the Little League Park? Well, that's amazing. Uh, Be- yeah, Belmont Heights Little League in Tampa, <laughs> Florida, off of MLK Boulevard. I, I didn't know it was 35 guys. I know the, off the top of my head, you have myself, Sheffield, Carr Everett, Abbott Everett, Floyd Yeomans, Vance Lovelace, uh... Tyrone Griffin, Derek Bell, those guys at the top of my head. Um, I'm not sure. The Did you guys play like the Little League World Series or anything? Did you get enter that? Yes. yes. Little League World Series. I got to play in that one in 1975. I was 10, so I couldn't participate. Then I played in the Senior League World Series in 1979. Taiwan beat us both times. I, I still say today, I'll take to my grave, those guys had to be older than what they said. Because, <laughs> and the reason I said because those guys were way advanced than us. We was, I mean, we, we got, and plus, those guys don't grow as big, you know, when they're adults. These guys look like grown men when they're 15. So, I, mean, I don't know. Oh. Winning, but they had to be older. Had to be. 
That is, that is, those games, someone should find videotape of those games. Those would be so exciting. So you go and go to the Mets and you get drafted and, and you were in the minor leagues for, you know, a lot of the people are even stars are in the minor leagues for at least a couple years. You lasted just one year. You flew through the entire system when you're 18 years old. Yes. And I think a big part of it was because of David Johnson. When I was in Kingsport, David was a roving instructor with the Mets. And I remember I was having a bullpen section with Alex Jackson passed away, I think, a couple years ago, but he was my pitching coach, and David came over and he was challenging me. He'll say, let me see you throw one down and away outside to a right-hand hitter. I'll do that. Let me see you curd ball back to a left. So I did everything he told me, and I was just on that day. And then the next year, in 83, he was a triple-A manager in Norfolk, Virginia for the Tidewood of Ties. I was in Lynchburg, and after our season in Lynchburg, I called up triple-A with David, and I won two big games for him in the playoffs, and we won the triple-A World Series. And he says, wherever he managed the following year, I'll be on his team. So I'm thinking at that time, you know, I'm only 18, so at least I'll be in AAA. Um, he got the big league job while I was in the instructional league. And just joking, I said, David, remember what you told me? He goes, oh, yeah, you're coming. And I got invited to spring training as a non-roster player. And while I was in spring training, out there to start, you know, you talk to the media. They say, yeah, they, the office say you're probably going to AA, maybe AAA because of your age. Me like a kid, I was running David's office. Dave, they said, I'm going to double it, triple A. Dave never tell me. He said, don't worry about it. Let him talk. You're going to make the team. The last day of spring training, I think we're playing the, the Tigers from Lakeland, and we're getting ready to fly to Cincinnati open the season. And he told me, he goes, congratulations, you made the team. Oh, that's awesome. And I was excited, but to see the joy, the share that with my father, the shared with him that made the team, I'll never forget that look that was on his face because it was initially his dream that became my dream. It was just one of the greatest moments that I ever had. And then your rookie year, you're the youngest pitcher to ever pitch in an All-Star game. You see, when you came in, you struck out the side. And I think Fernando struck out the side before you. So I think you were, it yeah. was Fernando and then you so had like six strikeouts in a row. You finished the year second in the Cy Young, which everyone thinks you should have won the Cy Young, your rookie of the year. And uh, it was just an amazing 17-9, 260-ERA, seven complete games, three shutouts, 218 innings. Uh, pitched 276 strikeouts. I saw somewhere where they said that you only made $40,000. So you were 17 and 9, and you made $40,000 that year. Yes, that's true. Uh, they say only 40000 but that was a lot of money to me. You know, I remember being in high school and sharing the same winter coat with my dad. Um, you know, things were tough, you know, sitting in front of the stove to get heat. So, I mean, coming from where I came from, 40000 was a lot to me. I wasn't complaining about that. But one of the greatest things about that moment was throwing to Gary Carter. I remember after three strikeouts, Gary saying, wouldn't this be nice to do every fifth day? Not knowing we was going to trade for Gary that November. And he played a huge part of my success in the 85 season. Just the communication we had, the love we had for each other, and the love that he had for the game, and bringing the best out of me every night in 85. It was just tremendous. But in 84, as you mentioned, no, no disrespect to Rick Sutcliffe, but I thought I should have won this high young that year. Um, I finished second, which was a great honor as well. And the win rookie of the year, when you, when you only got one shot to do it, that probably was my, my biggest reward and my favorite reward that I won because you only had one shot to do it. Um, so that was great. And then the guys that I had on the team with Keith Hernandez, uh, Mike Torres for a little bit, helping me learn the league, helping me learn the hitters, and just being there for me played a big part as well. And I can't say enough good things about the, the uh, impact that Mel Stoudemire had on my career as well. And then 85, we just talked about that earlier in the interview. It was one of the greatest years ever. 24 and 4, 153 ERA again, 16 complete games, eight shutouts, 270 strikeouts. 
From August 31st to September 16th, you threw 31 consecutive scoreless innings over four games. And then through October 2nd, you threw another 49 consecutive innings without allowing an earned run. I mean, it, it was just tremendous. It's the high, highest quality start percentage for a given season ever in that season. And you had, 30, you had 33 quality starts in 35 games. So it must have been just you're pitching. Everyone's going to the games. It's must-see every night you're out there and Chase Stadium. And, and you're doing it in New York. It was must have been so exciting to be in that atmosphere and that environment. Oh, man, that was crazy because um, to have that success, and like you mentioned, the success that I had my rookie year and the knowledge that I had my rookie year and you know the experience that I had my rookie year was just a tremendous, tremendous feat. So Going to 85 and having Gary Carter as my catcher, as I mentioned, was great. Um, with the knowledge that he had, definitely helped me. And Gary wanted me, it didn't matter who was batting, uh, who was playing, what the score was. They're going through that. And Gary, like, he wanted me every game. He wanted me pitch a shutout, pitch a complete game. He wanted me to get at least 10 strikeouts. And sometime, if we were winning 10 nothing, he wanted me to pitch like it was 1 nothing. <laughs> Gary played a big part. I mean, he would come out there and get in my face sometimes. I mean, we'd be up 10 nothing. The number eight turners up. He get a hit. He's coming out there. What are you doing? You got to bear down. Let's go. He wanted to totally dominate. So he played a big part of that. Having the fans, you know, clapping when I got two strikes on the batters, they played a big part of that because the hitters don't want to go down looking when I had two strikes because that's not clapping. And if it was a close pitch, the umpire was going to ring him up because if he didn't, the fans were going to let him have it. <laughs> so all that stuff worked to my advantage. But it was just a fun time. And like you say, the expectations – Bigger crowds, the bigger of the media attention, it brought a lot of a lot of pressure. But I suffered the challenge at the time. It's just a lot of fun having great teammates to support me. Played a big part as well. And then '86, the magical season uh, where you win the World Series. I remember I was at, at, at University of Pennsylvania at that time, and I was in a high-rise building. And in the World Series against the Red Sox, it was like when you go to Penn, it's like everybody was either from Boston or New York. So like people were just glued to their TVs. And, and after you guys won, I saw couches and chairs and tables thrown out of the building. I've never seen so much people with the Red Sox fans were so upset about that. But you. Oh, but in the National League Championship Series, you beat Mike. You played went against Mike Scott in two of the most amazing games. Where one game you were you lost the game it was one nothing, and the other you had a no decision, one nothing. So to to pitch ten innings and give up one run two times, just amazing. That was amazing, and just, like you mentioned, going against Mike Scott, who was the best pitcher in baseball in '86, was a tremendous feat. And then facing my childhood idol, my second start, I think it was Game Five, Nolan Ryan to go ten innings, which but that was just great. I know. Uh, I came out of there with no, no wins. Like people always talk about, you still have no postseason wins. But they look at the stats and the, the games I pitch. I mean, I did my part. And so, I mean, that was great to do that because we didn't want to face Mike Scott in game seven because, you know, he was undefeated and he was so much how hit his head. So we had to win game six. That was like our game seven. Um, and so going into the World Series, obviously I didn't pitch well in the World Series. And again, not to justify. I thought they had a good lineup and they got me, but I was just exhausted from the playoffs. You know, going 18 innings or whatever in those games, I had nothing left going to the World Series after the, the season I pitched with the amount of innings I had. Thrown. So then you you know you finish your you have your a few more years at the New York Mets, um, and then I just want to jump to the time when you came back with the Yankees. 